The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I have a fascinating episode for you today, and I think it's going to make you think about how you define health. I think that all of our ideas of health and wellness are very individual to us. And as we discuss in this episode, culturally here in the United States, at least, it seems like our definition of health is simply the absence of disease. So this is something that we explore today. And it is something that my guest, Tamen Haddad Garcia, has researched a lot about. She wrote a book with her father, Dr. Alex Haddad. He is a world-renowned public and digital health expert. Tamen is a philosopher and, like I said, a researcher. And they wrote a book together called Healthy No Matter What. So her dad is the creator of the Haddad Scale. It's become the world's most widely used methodology to assess the quality of clinical trials. And Tamen is a health entrepreneur, philosopher, researcher, as I think I've said twice now. So together they combine their expertise to uncover the medical system's unstable foundations. They guide you to harness your capacity to adapt so that you can live the longest and healthiest life possible. And they begin with this simple question, which is, what is health? So in their book, they have really engaging stories and case studies. They expand the understanding of health beyond the medical industrial complex. They show how distant connections in your personal networks can influence key aspects of yourself, like your weight, your anxiety, addictions. They talk about how reliance on medication can be reduced by intentionally designing the places where you live, work and play, and how comparisons with peers can actually shorten your life. So we talk about all of that and more in today's episode. Something that I learned in the episode is why our perception of our own health is so important. This is something that we delve into. We also talk about our body's unique ability to adapt. We talk about toxic stress load, what it is, how to limit and navigate the stress that everybody has in their lives. We talk about what factors contribute to life expectancy, placebo versus nocebo, and make sure you stick around to the end because we talk about a really fascinating study. She has a a few really interesting studies that she cites in the episode, but there's one at the end that really stuck with me. So with that, please enjoy Tamen Haddad-Garcia. Welcome, Tamen. Thanks. Did I say it right? Perfectly. Nailed it. Thank you. Third time. Third time's a charm. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk to you today. I was just telling you before we started recording that I have been listening to your new book, and I think it's amazing. It's kind of paradigm shifting, but it also encompasses a lot of the things that I discussed here on the podcast, and it's called Healthy No Matter What. So I'd love to just dive into it, but why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and tell them a little bit about what you do and how this book came to be. As you said, my name is Tamen, and I am a researcher, author, but like always entrepreneur. I've been kind of really heavy research background and business background, exploring and pushing the boundaries of what health looks like, what it means, and how we can have the best health services possible. I have a health venture studio, so we do a lot of consulting and we do and we build our own businesses all around kind of helping the most amount of people to reach optimal levels of health. Through that, we've gathered so much data on millions of people. And that was really kind of the foundation for the book, Healthy No Matter What. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning of the book, you talked about how for so many years when we were learning how to fly, right? Mm. We were mimicking birds. And 
that kept resulting in failure. I might be totally butchering this analogy, but you compared that to our approach to healthcare as well. So could you talk about that a little bit? For sure. Yeah. Essentially, we likened focusing on trying to be healthy by focusing on diseases or com- or the complete state of well-being as the equivalent of trying to fly by flapping your wings, right? So that seemed like the obvious thing. Same with health. You're like, oh, diseases, that's what we need to focus on to be healthy. Let's flap our wings. Let's fly like birds. And we were ignoring a lot of obvious things around us, right? And And when we started to glide rather than flap, that's how we're able to travel around the world. That's how we're able to even like go to other planets, essentially. Right. So it's the same with health is that when you stop focusing on purely disease or on the state of physical, social and mental well-being, and you think of it more as your ability to adapt and, and be able to respond to challenges, that's when you're really able to be healthy. And what's been really interesting is that when you change that perspective, so many more people can be healthy, right? Because if you have the definition of the complete state of physical, mental, and social well-being, if you are like the epitome of health, but you wear glasses, you by that definition would not be healthy, would not be healthy ever, right? But when you wear glasses and you have kind of this lifestyle, you are now, you can now be healthy. You are adapting to your physical challenge. And that's essentially like one of the big ideas of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the absence of disease as a definition of health is just not realistic. This is just the reality of the environment and the world that we live in. So I love how you guys are like, no, it's not the absence of disease. It's learning how to adapt to that and like kind of accommodate that and still have a really good life, right? Absolutely. And to that point, we when you start to dig into it, you're really you can get blown away by how it's possible to have even really serious diseases and consider yourself healthy. Because what we found is that it comes down to what you think, right? Because we also put a lot of weight into the hands of healthcare professionals, which of course makes sense in a lot of situations. But what we found is that we feel and we know more than we think sometimes, right? And when you start and you can evaluate your health by asking a simple question. How would you rate your health? Excellent, very good, good, fair, or poor, right? And then you kind of divide those into positive health and negative health. Excellent, very good and good being positive health and poor and fair being negative health. And essentially what we've found on a study that covered 22,000 people over a really long period of time found that those who answer poor live 23 years less than those who say they their health is excellent. So it's really interesting. And as you dig into it, you find that the answers that you give are so accurate and almost reflect different biomarkers in your body that defy the... Um, defy the precision and the abilities of different diagnostic tests and analysis and professional opinion. So it's been it's been really interesting to kind of dive into this and show how we actually have a lot of power when it comes to our health. What are some of those biomarkers, if you remember them off the top of your head? That's yeah. so fascinating. Yeah, some of them are even like fat levels in your blood, like wow. lipids and inflammation. And, you know, so you are able to sense these things when you rate your health. Mm-hmm. So it's all through like allostasis and homeostasis that you're able to kind of sense it and proprioception, essentially. And when you're answering that question, your body does like a quick scan of like everything going on and you're able to answer that question. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really cool. Like we invite listeners and readers to reflect on that question and to see how they're doing and then maybe question why they rate it that way because then that helps you kind of take control of your health because often what we've found is that 90% of what you need to be healthy is actually outside of the healthcare system. Mm. So we asked that question to millions of people and we found that it's actually down to good relationships, feeling good, having spiritual, like having a rich spiritual life or having a sense of purpose and, you know, to an extent, an absence of disease too, right? That obviously Mm -hmm. plays a role. But yeah, it's it's really powerful and really interesting when you start to listen to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like that would be kind of a two-way road though. Like if you have a rich spiritual life and a community and a sense of purpose and these kind of foundational things, you're probably less prone to disease. And if you are not experiencing disease, like you can maintain those areas of your life, right? So it would 
I would imagine it would kind of work both ways. Absolutely. And that's kind of where it comes down to self-perception also and like what labels you give to yourself. Because if you label yourself as somebody ill, right, and you and you have kind of that more traditional view of health, like, oh, I have diabetes, therefore I am ill. Mm. Therefore, you know, that affects my life in terms of my spirituality and my community. Or you can just kind of see yourself as a healthy person who has like this health challenge, but you're managing that and you're getting over that. And therefore you're able to kind of participate a little bit more. So it's, it has a lot to do with who we think we are and how we behave. Also, we kind of go into that in the book also and Mm -hmm. show how your outlook on life and your sense of optimism can actually be protective against things like stroke, even like there's some really interesting studies that we quote in the book. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm curious what you think about this kind of culture that we are in right now, at least the content that I see on social media. It's almost like we are aspiring to perfect health Mm. and looking for things to fix. Mm -hmm. And obviously the wellness industry is a multi-trillion dollar industry, I think, that's trying to sell you things for everything. And so I think as a result, we're feeling like, everything is wrong. Our hormones are off. Our gut health is off. Our sleep is off. And to some extent, I'm sure these things are true, but I would imagine having that narrative about yourself, like my gut is broken. My hormones are broken. My brain is broken. Whatever it is would manifest itself in some of those physical symptoms. It almost sounds like that's what you're talking about and that like what you believe about yourself is the experience that you're going to have, right? Absolutely. And to that point, we like in the book, and as you can kind of tell, and as you've heard, we cover so many different subjects. And one of them in the book that we dedicate an entire chapter to is enoughness, Mm -hmm. the sense of enough, right? Because it's like, how much is enough in terms of pursuing like your health goals and being really and taking care of yourself and wanting to boost your health and be the best person possible. How much is enough when it comes to that also, right? Because there is such thing as too much, like as doing too much when it comes to your health, right? And and I feel like we're now starting to see what that looks like. And even in the traditional healthcare system, over-testing, over-diagnosing, over-treating, over, like just doing too much can actually be really harmful. So we need to reflect on, okay, how much is enough? And usually that's like an internal compass kind of thing where you start to sense a little bit of distress or like you're not like doing enough. And that's really down to ourselves to decide also. And it's like an internal compass, kind of like how birds have a sense of magnetic north, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what is enough? What Mm -hmm. is enough? And I think that that's something important to kind of come back to, especially in uh, in this crazy. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much noise. But I definitely had that experience where like when I started my social media career, I was on one end of the spectrum and I was very obsessive. And I was doing all the diagnostic testing and always trying Mm -hmm. to fix things. And I did have some legitimate issues going on, but it got kind of extreme and I was probably orthorexic. And then the pendulum swung the other way Mm -hmm. (laughs) as it does. Right. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like stopped everything and then it landed somewhere in the middle. And I think we all do have such a strong intuition when it comes to our bodies and when it comes to our health. And I'm very moderate now. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of my following, they don't always agree with that. But that's all based on your perception, you know, of of what health and wellness is. I can post oats and people... Yes. Come at me for getting oats. And, you know, I, I, or for for eating oats. I'm sorry. I got breast implants six Uh months ago. And that has been a real hot topic because people are like, how can you be talking about wellness? And I'm like, because this is what works for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have to decide what works for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's all, and that's one of the big points of this is that everybody's idea of health and wellness is unique to them. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was a big issue with the healthcare system is that they're creating a lot of one size fit all. It's like, this is, this is what's healthy. This is what's normal. You need to be within this range. You need to blah. But what we, what, like what a lot of people don't know is that these, these standards are set by a group of people almost like just kind of through experience and almost arbitrarily. And it's kind of like, I mean, it, it, like, 
it's kind of tricky to to always have to conform to a certain idea. And it feels like you're always going to be wrong in one way or another, right? So I think that we need to remember that how we feel and our choices and what feels right for us is what really matters when it comes to pursuing health and wellness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And back to something that you were talking about in the beginning, kind of these foundational aspects of wellness, like a spiritual life and community. Mm-hmm. I remember in the book, I believe you said that it's easy to get a prescription for loneliness. You go to the doctor, you are suffering from depression or loneliness or something, and you usually go to a general practitioner, right? And they write you a prescription for an antidepressant. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because that really stuck with me. I was just listening to another podcast. I believe it was Armchair Expert with Chris Palmer. I don't know if you listened to that show or I've heard of it. I think he's a... He's a researcher and psychiatrist at Harvard, and he was talking about this, and he was talking about how over-prescribed SSRIs are, and I think there's a time and a place, obviously, but that really stuck with me because I've been through that as well, where like I've been in really deep, dark places in my life and reached for a Band-Aid when really it was the inner work that I had to do and work on as opposed to just going straight to the medication. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of that that's also what I was kind of talking about the standards because mm-hmm. it's I think it had to do with the mourning process that mm-hmm. according to kind of like the codes for insurance and billing and like what you like what is considered a disease or not, essentially you're allowed to mourn for I don't know, I think it's like a month or or less or even like 10 days, I think. I think it's something like that. You'll you'll have to fact check that. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact okay. uh, the exact timing, but if you are mourning too long, according to that standard, you will then get prescribed an antidepressant, right? But this could be somebody who means the world to you. It could be, you know, really the rock in your life. And if you're mourning for more than that period, you're now depressed. Mm. This is something that is, you know, so profound and and human and, you know, something that you need community and you need to kind of work through and you need to like really dive deep for. And that's kind of how the system responds to it in a like just kind of one off way. So that's what we were talking about, Mm -hmm. how like something social, right, how a social challenge could be met with like almost a physical solution. Right. Right. And that's where kind of that mismatch comes about with the healthcare system. Yeah. And I think I heard in that podcast as well that we treat these social issues as a brain issue. We try to isolate the brain from the rest of the body. And that's just Mm -hmm. not how it works. We know now how interconnected it is and how influenced it is by the circumstances in our lives. And I remember him also saying that diagnose somebody with depression, for example, they have to meet five criteria out of however many in the DSM. Mm -hmm. So then they go on medication and maybe they only meet four of those criteria. So are they not depressed anymore, even Mm -hmm. though it only maybe eliminated like the inability to get out of bed. I don't know, which could be huge for some people. Mm -hmm. And again, like this is not to say that these things don't have a time and a place. I've been on them and they've been helpful and I've been off them and dealt with other things. But I think back to your point, we know what's best for us. And, and I think that your book is a great exploration of that. Thank you. Yeah. And like before, Doctors used to treat you maybe in your home, right, or in a more community kind of setting where they were able to pick up on different cues. Like you get old school doctors who might say like, hold out your hands or who just want to observe you standing up from a sofa or from a chair. And already these kinds of things are even just observing the space. Like, is your house like really dark, like filled with dust? Like, are there no plants? Like, is it really cluttered? All of these things are going to impact your health as well. But we're seen in such a sterile environment that those things almost get ignored and pushed out of what you're dealing with. Right. Or because that's something we go we talk about quite a bit in the book also is the influence of spaces and and where you spend your time and how those are big assets for boosting your health and longevity. Just having a plant in your house or in your hospital room, that has huge impacts in terms of your physical and spiritual and mental well-being. And we've also seen how like terribly designed spaces can actually hamper your ability to live long and feel healthy. Mm -hmm. So 
having that kind of dis that disconnect between who you are and the environments in which you live. And that's really something we talk about in the book also about in the book is we are so interconnected with the people, the spaces, the food, you know, everything is our health. And it really kind of ha taps into that idea of planetary health, that our health relies on the ecosystems on which we depend on too, right? So mm -hmm. seeing ourselves in this little capsule and then like focusing on the different organs and different like challenges per se is not going to be as effective as if we kind of take that all in. And it's not, and it's really not the fault of healthcare professionals. It's not the fault of like the system. It's just the way, it's almost inertia mm -hmm. that it's just had to become that way because before the healthcare system, like in, well, healthcare system in kind of ancient Greek times was all about the elements, the food, you know, your spirit. And it was, it was all so much more in tuned. And then it started to become very, then, then we started to kind of industrialize a little bit more. And then like hospitals became less of a hotel -y experience and more dark and crowded and dirty. And, you know, people didn't believe in germs and, you know, <laughs> it was kind of a dangerous place. And then it almost, then it kind of swung to the other side, this pendulum where it became, oh, over sanitized and everything which is like super measured and precise and everything has to like fit inside these tiny boxes and we kind of went a little bit to the extreme there and it's nobody's fault necessarily but it is our responsibility to understand that and to you know to take back our whole human mm -hmm. and and bring that into our own health and that's really a big point that we talk about too mm -hmm. If you are at all interested in aging or anti-aging or skincare or how and why we age and how and why our skin ages and breakthroughs in this field, then once you're done listening to this episode, go back and listen to my episode from Monday the 13th with Kyle Landry. So Kyle is the president of De La Vie Sciences. De La Vie Sciences was co-founded by Harvard biologist and longevity expert, Dr. David Sinclair, who I know a lot of you are familiar with. And De La Vie Sciences basically harnesses the power of nature to develop skincare that transcends any offering in the current market. So they provide customers with truly one-of-a-kind products that preserve the life of their skin. And we talk about it in this episode, but their flagship product, their Ionia age-defying serum, utilizes bacillus lysate. This is the first biological cosmetic to be certified by the Space Foundation. And this core ingredient in De La Vie's flagship product has been proven to boost hydration, reduce free radicals, and even stimulate the gene that regulates aging. So it basically is helping your skin to be more efficient. And we get into how this works in the episode and how they found this ingredient, this bacillus lysate. And it's so fascinating. And I have to say from my experience with the serum so far, it is effective. I have been using it a little bit on my face, but also on my hands, my chest, these areas that tend to show signs of aging because they are often exposed to sun and the elements. And so we have fine lines and hyperpigmentation and dryness. And my skin is looking real good and I have been letting Chuck use it too. It's funny because a lot of people recently asked me in an Instagram Q&A how to get their partner into skincare. I would recommend getting this product because it does everything. So I know that my husband is not going to do a nine-step skincare routine, but you don't have to because like I said before, this product really helps your skin to be more efficient. So you're going to have more hydration, less hyperpigmentation and all of the things. So definitely check it out. Dr. Sinclair and his team are really at the forefront when it comes to longevity and anti-aging. And so it's really exciting that he is behind this product and the products that they are soon to be coming out with. So you can go to www.delaviesciences.com and they have given me a code for 25% off your first order of the Ionia age-defying serum. Use the promo code blonde at checkout to receive your discount. Again, that's delaviesciences, D-E-L-A-V-I-E sciences.com. And the code is BLONDE for 25% off. 
I don't know about you, but when I am shopping for things like seafood or poultry, I am very particular, as I think we all should be. I want to make sure that it is humanely raised. There's no antibiotics or added hormones, and it can be hard. Sometimes I find myself going to the farmer's market for one thing, the specialty grocery store for another, the butcher for another thing. But ButcherBox makes it really easy, and they take the guesswork out of finding high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust. So they have 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. You can get everything that you want delivered right to your doorstep. So it's very convenient. And you can enjoy a range of high quality cuts that are really hard to come by at the grocery store or another store where you normally go to shop. It's amazing value considering the quality that you're getting. And you can choose from a huge variety of box plan options from curated to customized. You can change your plan whenever you want. So I have a few recipes that I make on rotation, as you guys probably know. I love to make my turkey meatballs. I've been doing a lot of chicken thighs lately, and I'm starting to foray back into seafood. And it's so easy to just get all of that delivered right to me. I can freeze whatever I'm not using and it eliminates the need for all of that running around and trying to find the best quality cuts and seafood. So it's super convenient. The quality, the taste, everything is amazing and it is affordable. So ButcherBox has a special offer running for my listeners. You can use my code BLONDE to get $20 off your first box. Sign up at butcherbox.com blonde and use the code BLONDE to get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com blonde and the code is BLONDE. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier. And you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru. And you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. What is the most upstream? I mean, why why is the healthcare system and hospital systems and all that that way? Is it just because of how they make a profit? Is it because of the insurance companies? I mean, I would imagine insurance largely dictates the care that we get. My dad is a doctor. He's a mm-hmm. cardiologist and mm-hmm. he has a certain amount of time that he can spend with each patient. Exactly. And that's And it. that's the thing. It's not. And, and that's really hard to kind of like pinpoint why it is this way. Mm-hmm. And it almost became this way because it became like a branch of the financial system, mm-hmm. right? Because we over financialized the healthcare system, because if it was really aligned with improving your health, like say insurance companies got paid for people being healthy rather than mm-hmm. when they were ill, you know, it's almost like where the incentives are, right? Because also to an extent, like doctors get paid for like fixing things. So they want to like, and and I mean, a lot of people, if they go to a doctor, doctor's appointment and they don't get prescribed sometimes something or do a diagnostic test, they often think that the doctor is bad, right? So it's, it's kind of true. like, it's almost like a two-way street where it's yeah. like, oh, but my doctor didn't prescribe me anything. He didn't do any tests. He didn't like, he didn't do an x-ray or an MRI. You're, oh, he's terrible or she's terrible, right? And it's kind of, like it's a two-way street where we kind of have certain expectations and then like people become very litigious if they don't do this stuff. So then they over-test and they over-diagnose and then it just becomes kind of this mess of everybody trying mm-hmm. to do their best and then everybody kind of suffering at the same time. It does kind of seem like a lose-lose situation yeah, or like a can't win, like in the, from the doctor's position too. Like they can't win because if they don't do anything, if they prescribe nature because yeah. I know this is a thing yeah, right they're doing that now yeah probably more often than not the patient is going to be like the fuck yeah I'm exactly. like yeah. forest bathing exactly are you kidding what? me this person is a quack like yeah, exactly. typing on yeah, reddit yeah. or whatever but, but it actually like forest bathing and like being in green spaces actually reduces your pre- like premature mortality by 30 percent 
right? So exactly. So it's actually super powerful. But at the same time, we have those reactions, right? Mm -hmm. But then it's kind of, it goes down to the point of like something that I talk about, well, we talk about a lot in the book and it's kind of a pet concept of mine, which is the force. It's our essentially, and it's really kind of topical now, given that AI is really kind of buzzword right now and everybody's kind of freaking out about that. What makes us uniquely human? And when you think about that, you often start thinking of positive things, right? It's our creativity, it's affection, it's altruism, right? But we can see a lot of animals do this or, you know, there are certain things that maybe machines can do better than us or do the same as us. But what if it's our unique capacity to know what is bad for us and still do it? (laughs) Right. So Mm -hmm. this is what we call the self-destructive force or like the force for short. And I feel like we need to take that into consideration when we're trying to be healthy, when we're trying to live the longest life possible, is that we are experts at doing what's bad for us. Right. So even though we're kind of like, oh, forest bathing is wonderful for us, like we really need to do that. How many of us actually take the time to do it, right? Knowing that it can be good for you, right? Or even we know what is what is objectively harmful for ourselves and yet we continue to do it. I mean, a lot of most fatalities in car accidents are due to people not wearing seatbelts. Something as fundamental as that, mm. right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of the force is something that we have to take into consideration like really seriously mm-hmm. when we are you know criticizing the healthcare system when we are responding to what the healthcare system gives to us or when we're just on our mission to live the best life possible mm-hmm. let's talk about toxic stress load absolutely because i feel like those two are probably related mm-hmm. so many of us know the factors in our life that are contributing to this stress overload that so many people are feeling right now, but it's so much easier to just do that behavior anyway versus Mm -hmm. doing the more beneficial thing to you. For sure. Yeah. So toxic stress load essentially is the accumulation of negative, uh, negative changes in your body, like physical and psychological, as a result of you having to overcome challenges, just ongoing challenges. It's like the baggage, the scars and the tensions that you accumulate through life. So as you're saying, like, for example, you could have like a really stressful period at work and then maybe you want to be using your phone more in the morning and at night you're like trying to respond to all of these things. Then you're not sleeping well. You're skipping your workouts. You're maybe not eating as well as you should be. And then those kind of things start to accumulate. But then your stress, like your stress at work kind of subsides a little bit. But your body still has like the fatigue from poor sleep. It still has, you know, maybe some additional visceral fat, like that hidden harmful fat from not exercising well or eating poorly. And that's essentially your toxic stress load, right? And maybe just kind of being wound up from being on your phone way too much to Mm -hmm. kind of like distract yourself from that stress. And that's what we talk about, this toxic stress load. And essentially it's the equivalent, it's the equivalent of accelerated aging and what we think really leads to premature death. Do you think that toxic stress load is at an all-time high now? Or, I mean, I would imagine we are kind of living in the best era, but I would imagine that, you know, the existential threat of war and the depression and all of these things Mm -hmm. would be major stressors compared to the stressors that we have today. For sure. Yeah. So if you think about, like, Absolutely. To that point, if you think about the key components that you can change regarding the toxic stress load, these have to do with poor sleep quality, which Mm -hmm. I feel like is a big issue right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have sleep issues, like sleep quality issues, don't get enough sleep, just feel generally dissatisfied with that. Stress related to finances, work, family a lot of loneliness and trust issues, right? These are the things that most contribute to TSL. So I think that we are at a period Mm. where we maybe have the highest toxic stress loads, but at the same time, we have so many solutions, right? Because we are, we have a lot of tools and because we have so many entrepreneurs trying to like tackle all of these challenges, I think we have a lot of resources also. And that's actually something that we've dedicated ourselves like 
understanding the impact of TSL, we have like we have a venture studio and we've now made it our mission to offer solutions to the main contributors to toxic stress load. So for sleep, we've now created a supplement, a dietary supplement that's a sleep booster. And essentially it enhances the efficiency of your sleep so that if you didn't get enough or if you have like morning fatigue because it was like poor quality sleep or like not enough hours, this boosts the quality of that so that you can wake up feeling fresh, diminishing the stress that you have kind of in your family and social life and at work as well. Because it's one of the most annoying things is waking up just Mm -hmm. feeling so drained from the night before. But yeah, so I think there are a lot of solutions out there for our TSL and they are at all times high, but maybe down to the force that we're not kind of stepping up to deal with them, maybe. Mm -hmm. When we started to do studies, we actually found that 80% of people prefer to have mental health support with a virtual kind of agent Mm. or, you know, kind of using AI or just a virtual therapy session rather than going in person. So we have, and the, the impacts are huge. Like some even VR experiences can have lasting effects of like sometimes I think six years in some cases of phobias. Mm. So our tech can be our enemy, but it can also be our ally, mm-hmm. right? And we just need to kind of find that that right balance and and not fall into the temptation of just kind of those dopamine hits of like, oh, I posted and it's like, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And you're like, just kind of <laughs> receiving all the good vibes. It's like, that's not what we, like, we need to really connect with the people around us and the plants and just kind of mm-hmm. the natural spaces around us too mm-hmm. and kind of connect inward too, right? Yeah, I wonder if there's going to be a pendulum swing back to how it was pre- smartphones, mm-hmm. pre all of these technological advancements, as people learn more about what the kind of secondary stress and those dopamine fluctuations mm-hmm. as a result of whether it's email or social media or whatever it is that you're doing on your phone. And obviously, like, it's not just technology. There are so many Absolutely. Variables in our lives today that are contributing to this. To your point, like I think that precisely like we talk about social contagion also, Mm -hmm. that our behaviors, our outlooks, our emotions and our habits are contagious. Mm -hmm. Right. So this podcast is amazing because it's it's almost like a beacon of positive social contagion, mm-hmm. right? Because then it just starts to kind of pass on and pass on and pass on. So I do think it's possible that we do have more of a pendulum swing. It's just like being careful that it doesn't go to like a crazy extreme, but more kind of settles in the middle where we where we start to get those boundaries as you've spoken about many times and try to find that healthy place where we can get the benefits of all of these normal contributors, right? Because often these contributors have a positive side to it. So it's like how to get the positive side and less of the negative, right? Mm -hmm. Do I have this right that there is the shortest life expectancy? Maybe not the shortest. I remember you guys compared North America, I believe, and East Asia. Mm -hmm. Was it quality of life or life expectancy? Is this ringing a bell? (laughs) <laughs> Let me see what I, I have in my notes. <laughs> I was like, ooh. Oh, no, no, no. It, it was, was like anxiety. anxiety. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just essentially what we've seen is different cultures have different language and approaches and perspectives of how to deal with and even label stressful and anxiety-inducing scenarios. And it's mm-hmm. just kind of, I think that we kind of lump so much into anxiety and have like a big culture of that in more Western cultures rather than the Eastern where it's a little bit more community-based. But once again, that's like a crazy generalization. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I am curious though, like I'm sure everybody is familiar with the blue zones. Mm -hmm. So we know that in the blue zones, they are walking more, Mm -hmm. right? They are preparing their own food. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the main differences, but I would imagine that they're stress and and they're not without disease mm-hmm. right but they have the longest life expectancy yeah. so what are they doing that we're yeah, not doing. yeah for sure for sure and I love that you bring that up because often we think of the blue zones as kind of like this beacon of mm-hmm. hope of where of like we need to live the way that people in blue zones live 
And there are a lot of wonderful things from these communities, right? And the data on how they kind of gathered it is a little bit shaky and it's almost like a little bit more selective, but they generally have a really good community and a healthy, healthy, lots of healthy relationships. They are active, do a little bit of, do more caloric restriction, prepare their food, you know, live in green and blue spaces, right? These are generally what blue zones have in common. But what's really interesting, and we looked at it to understand what do the people in the longest lived communities do and what characterizes them? And we actually found that centenarians and super centenarians are actually in big cities, right? So we don't actually have to go to like the mountains or a rural community to get all the benefits, right? A lot of people who live like, and super centenarians are those who live past 110 years old Mm -hmm. and they, or years young. No, I think at that point you can say (laughs) 110 years old. I'm sure they wear that badge (laughs) with pride. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe that's that's part of the longevity is less pride, right? Um, But yeah, they actually live in, in relatively big cities with like more than 4 million people. So that gives us a lot of hope is that it does come down to like good relationships and caloric restriction and all of this, but it is within reach for a lot of us living in urban areas. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody listening knows that I love my nighttime routine. I really take my sleep very seriously. It is the foundation of my wellness because if I don't sleep well, then the rest of my day is going to be off regardless of how good my morning routine is. And so I really do everything that I can to set myself up for a good night's sleep. I have these rituals in place that I really enjoy doing. I make sure my nighttime routine feels completely different from my day, meaning I'm off my screen. I am really just in the present and focusing on doing things that help me to calm down, help my nervous system. And one of those things is drinking my shut-eye chai, my magnesium latte. I love this so much. I think I mentioned this last time I was talking about it, but I actually turned into that person that I can't relate to at all. This was not my intention when I started drinking this, but I haven't had dessert in months because I have my Shut Eye Chai Magnesium Latte every single night and I look forward to it as much as I look forward to my matcha in the morning and I find it equally satisfying and I make it with some macadamia milk, a little bit of honey, and it's just like this warming, soothing, calming treat that I look forward to. And so I'm off the sugar at night, which I have to say, I've been feeling really amazing, but that's a different conversation. So if you're wondering what is Shadai Chai, it is a magnesium super blend latte for sleep from Ned. They are my favorite CBD company. They have an incredible range of products. So this latte combines adaptogens, aminos, functional mushrooms, and magnesium, my favorite. And it's all wrapped into this heavenly masala chai-inspired spiced body. So think cinnamon, clove, ginger, all of that good stuff. And it also has like chaga, reishi, ashwagandha. So these are deeply nourishing ingredients to your body. So you're getting a ton of additional benefits in addition to the magnesium, which I always talk about. It's made such a big difference in the quality of my sleep. So the Shadai Chai is crafted from the highest grade single origin ingredients, ethically sourced from some of the world's best small scale farms, and it will help calm your nervous system, nourish your senses, and send you peacefully off to dreamland. It's all natural, made exclusively from functional botanicals, fungi, herbs, plants, minerals, roots, and spices. And like I said, I love to mix it with some nut milk, some honey. It's such a comfort routine that I look forward to every night. And since I've posted about it, I've gotten a lot of messages from listeners and followers who have tried it too and love it as well. I also love the Mellow Magnesium from Ned. They also have amazing CBD, like I said. So definitely go check everything out and you can discover how Shut Eye Chai can revolutionize your sleep and get 15% off with the code BLONDE. Go to helloned.com slash blonde or enter the code blonde at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash blonde to get 15% off. Sweet dreams. 
I know that everybody who listens to my show is pretty health conscious. I'm sure that you are all nourishing your bodies with all of the delicious, nutritious foods, but sometimes that is not enough. Ritual knows that it's basically impossible to get all of the nutrients that you need from your diet 100% of the time. So they made a multivitamin that helps you focus on what's important, like filling key nutrient gaps to support foundational health. My favorite thing about Ritual is that aside from their philosophy of giving you exactly what you need instead of giving you a lot of things that you don't need is their commitment to science. So their multivitamin for women 18 plus is made with high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. So they have nine key nutrients in just two capsules per day. And there is a nice minty essence in every bottle that keeps things fresh and it makes taking your vitamins every day actually enjoyable. I know with other vitamins, sometimes I would get like this funky aftertaste, maybe feel a little sick to my stomach. Rituals vitamins are time release, so you don't get any of that. And I just really appreciate their approach to strive for foundational health instead of striving for perfect health, which we are talking about in this episode. Like what is optimal health to you? So right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash blonde to start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. Again, that's ritual.com slash blonde. I have been getting a lot of compliments on my hair lately. Thank you very much. And I have shared on Instagram that I have been approaching it from multiple angles. I have been supporting my body through vitamins and nutrients. And I have also been using Vegamore for a few months. And not only am I finally seeing results, but I'm finally getting the hair that I've always wanted. Vegamore's holistic approach to hair health uses smart botanicals that promote visibly thicker, fuller, longer looking hair, and they don't use any harmful chemicals. All of their products are cruelty free and never contain parabens or hormones, which is huge for me right now because I'm on a little bit of a hormone journey. And Vegamore has something for everyone looking to improve their hair health. So the Grow Revitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner Kit works together to create visibly thicker hair and improve hair from the roots. You just massage the shampoo into your scalp for 60 seconds, follow up with the conditioner. It's as simple as that. This has been my go-to. It has been a game changer for me because I feel like with other products, they were really weighing my hair down. Like a lot of these supposedly deep conditioning, revitalizing shampoos, conditioners, products were too much for my hair and I was getting a ton of breakage. But with Vegamore, it's actually super nourishing, but also really light at the same time. So with Vegamore, there is no risk when trying because they have a 90-day money-back guarantee. But with 91% of customers saying they saw visibly thicker hair with Vegamore in just three months, you won't want to run out. So get the hair you've always wanted with Vegamore. Go to vegamore.com slash blonde and use the code blonde to save 20% on your first order. That's V-E-G-A M-O-U-R dot com slash blonde. And the code is blonde to save 20%. Again, vegamore.com slash blonde. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. 
There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And you were able to predict with a lot of precision, right? what somebody's life expectancy would be based on where they live. So it's been really interesting where longitudinal studies like over several decades have collected data on people living in different neighborhoods. There was a big one done in the U.S. to see how long people were living. And there was that statement of tell me your zip code and I'll tell you how long you will live. Right. And uh, I pretty I think I completely botched that statement. But (laughs) (laughs) it's like, tell me where you live. Yeah. Tell me where you live and I'll tell you how long you'll live. Something Uh along those lines. And essentially it was really shocking because they found within the same city, different neighborhoods had a life expectancy difference of like 30 years, which was really shocking. So yes, a big part of, of that has where you live can have a huge impact, but part of that has to do with different things that are in place before you're born Mm -hmm. and different stressors that you are, that your parents experience that then affect you and then kind of trickle into how long you live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And would some of the places with a lesser life expectancy be places that have more poverty, food Mm -hmm. deserts, that kind of thing, where there are many generations and and they don't move? Mm -hmm. They're not able to get out? Yeah, that's exactly it. Where where there's generally lower income properties, Mm -hmm. where people are like their their house values are much lower than those that are living longer. So in Streeterville and Englewood. Mm-hmm. Those two were the communities in Chicago that they found lived a 30-year difference. And there was also like racial differences as well. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we mean by how your address can really tell you a lot about how long you will live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite shocking. Wow, that is mm-hmm. very shocking. From your research and all of the data that you have compiled, what do you feel are the biggest contributors to overall health and well-being and maybe what are the biggest detriments to mm-hmm. it to yeah. just to kind of sum up what we've been talking about for sure so the biggest boosters like and why people consider their health to be positive is usually just generally having a positive outlook feeling good having great relationships and having a good community being physically active having spiritual purpose and a rich spiritual life, and then being able to manage their physical challenges and their diseases. Those are the things that contribute most, the top five reasons that contribute most to feeling healthy. And then the things that make you, that kind of drag that down are definitely your toxic stress load, the force going over in terms of or going under, like not reaching that point of enoughness Mm. and focusing solely on dealing with the disease or dealing with a physical challenge rather than looking at the whole person and looking at that 90% that's outside of the healthcare system, focusing on your spaces and the people with which you interact on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing in the book that, I can't remember if it was related to the toxic stress load, but it actually hindered your body's ability to fight infection and it affects your immune system. It it affects your body's ability to recognize cancer cells. I remember Mm -hmm. hearing that and being like, oh, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. caught my attention. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like because your body is is responding to this stressor and and it's and it's just kind of going on overhaul, you're not able to then focus on other challenges that your body needs to focus on. So it starts to really that's why we talk about it being the equivalent to accelerated aging. And when people try to push the boundaries of longevity, they get to a certain cap. I think they estimated that it's 120 years. That's as long as we can live in, ter- like in our physical bodies as such. Mm-hmm. And part of that is due to the accumulation of toxic stress. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that is going to extend at all in our lifetime? I saw an article recently about some guy, he may be a somebody who works in tech, who is essentially reversing his age. I don't know what kind of therapies he's doing, but treating externally and internally, trying to reverse. And there are all kinds of biohackers and everything Mm -hmm, like that. But mm -hmm. do you think that we have the ability to extend our lives much longer than that in this lifetime? 
I mean, some people definitely would say absolutely. Mm -hmm. And a whole group of researchers would say, no, we have a physical cap. So I would have to dig a little bit deeper into that. But I think that people are going to keep trying. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. along the way, they might come up with really interesting insights that can even help us have a better life sooner. And that's, you know, Mm-hmm. That's that's what matters, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. What was the most profound thing that you learned in the process of researching this and writing the book? I think what really stood out to me was just how magnificent our minds are in influencing how we experience pain, health, and just our whole overall physical well-being and how it can really transform us. There was a really interesting study done in Harvard where they took a group of old men and they transformed this house into like almost, it was like a time warp where it was maybe decades in the past. And before going in, they measured them in terms of their, their seeing, their dexterity, their height, you know, just all different things. And then they brought them into this house to stay there for a while. And they had to pretend that it was the fifties and they had, and there were only pictures of them from that time. And the, what was on TV was from that time. And the newspapers were from that time. And they really were living this reality. And really when they were thrown, when they were thrown in there, but when they were, (laughs) when they were brought in there, I say thrown because some of them even had canes, like had like issues walking, but they didn't get any help to bring their suitcases up the stairs or even unpack. They were decades back and they had to really take that kind of reality in. When they left and they measured them again, based off of everything that they analyzed beforehand, their sight improved. They sat taller, their dexterity improved, right? So there were like a lot of, a lot of changes that just happened through what you think. But then also when you think about placebo and the Mm -hmm. nocebo effect, like you, if you think something is going to be painful, even if they're not inflicting any pain, you will experience it as painful Mm -hmm. and you will almost block any, any, any anesthetic power that they're maybe giving you, which Mm -hmm. is really, really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. So there are some really uh, like fascinating studies in terms of the power that the mind has in terms of how you experience your life and Mm -hmm. how you can kind of go through. So that that's something that really blew my mind going through. Fascinating. How long were they there for? Did you say? I think it was 10 days. Yeah, but we talk about it. I I completely forget. Uh Yeah. So would it then be beneficial for them to live long term like that when they return to their homes? Yeah, yeah. Turn back the clock and put up their old picture. I know. (laughs) I mean, is there a limit to it? I know. I know. Yeah, that would be really a good, interesting, Mm -hmm. uh, like follow up experiment to see if it lasts over over a period of time for sure. Yeah. I mean, when they would have to interact with the outside world and they start to realize that time has maybe passed a little bit more. I think there could be some limits to that. But they're, just the fact that their sight improved, yes. like something so objective That's uh, amazing. changed kind of through that time. Like yeah. Maybe I should put up all my pictures of myself. Old, from like and then talk about those events, just, right? Just <laughs> <Exactly>. live. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. We say you are what you think you are, who yes. you think you are. So we have to be careful with who we think we are. Yeah. Right. I think I'm a healthy 22 year old. There you go. So. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but I think that everybody listening has probably had an experience, whether it's with an injury or something where you are healing or like I can think of myself. So I fell a couple years ago. I tore a ligament in my foot, extremely painful. And I really had no movement or anything for like a year. And then, and so I babied it. I wouldn't do lunges. I wouldn't put on a high heel X, Y, and Z because I was anticipating the pain. Mm -hmm. And I saw a physical therapist recently who was like, no, you can stand up on your toe. And he's like, I'm just going to like move it around. And I was like, oh, God. And I was experiencing the pain before it even Mm -hmm. moved. And I just needed someone to push me over that hump a little, like take the training wheels off, essentially. And it sounds like that's kind of what they did in that house. They took the training wheels off. You take your bag up yourself. Take your bag up, even if it has to be sock by sock, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's essentially what you're what you experienced was the nocebo effect, Mm. which is essentially like it means in Latin, I will harm. Mm -hmm. Right. Like placebo is I will heal. Right. So the nocebo effect is exactly that, where there were studies where they would say we are going to be burning you and it's going to hurt a lot. And then they would like 
And and so they, they actually did three, they did three groups. One where they gave them anesthetics and they burnt them. The other where they did a control group and they did it. And then, then a group that they told actively, you will feel pain. And for all three, they were actually administering an, an anesthetic that would actually not make them feel that much pain. But those who were told that it's going to hurt and that were really believing that, they their brains blocked the effect of the anesthetic mm. and they actually experienced more pain. Wow. So really our outlook, if we're if we think it's gonna hurt, if we think we're it's painful, it's going to hurt more. Mm-hmm. So I've been actually applying that to myself too, you know, with different situations. It's mm-hmm. like, this isn't going to hurt. This is going to be fine, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of like giving myself a little bit of a placebo and compete and like kind mm-hmm. of blocking out that nocebo kind of thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's just incredible how powerful our minds are. Absolutely. And they really can dictate our perception, but also our experience for sure of life. So so mm-hmm. fascinating. Tell yeah. everybody where they can buy your book and Absolutely. find out more information about all yeah, of this. Yeah, for sure. So you can get the book at pretty much any bookstore near you, the one that you love. It could be Barnes & Noble, Book Soup, or you can get it on Amazon. Amazing. Yeah. Thank Yay. you so much for coming. Thank you so much. This is really fun. Yeah, yeah. thank you. <laughs> love chatting. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at ariellaurie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.